2023 has come and gone, and I've picked my 10 favorite movies from the year. This is Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. movie friends welcome to scott's self-indulgent movie podcast i am scott and today i'm going through my 10 favorite movies of 2023 as i'll get into in kind of the introduction it's always just a matter of what i've seen so this list is always just a snapshot but yeah there's a lot of good stuff this year and a lot of different genres and stuff and yeah um you'll you'll notice that i have particular genres and tropes and things that i tend to lean towards which is why my list is as it is but yeah, I hope you enjoy it, and let me know if you think I missed anything. So without further ado, let's get started. 2023 surprised a lot of people by being a big year for movies that weren't superhero movies, namely Barbie and Oppenheimer, but there was also nice breakouts from for hits from Japan, see Godzilla Minus One and The Boy and the Heron, and big-name directors still taking giant swings, a la Killers of the Flower Moon and Napoleon. There's something for everyone in 2023. With that in mind, here are the 10 movies I enjoyed the most or think are the best from the movie year that was 2023. As always, my list is incomplete because I can't get to a theater to see everything, so there are some big movies that I just mentioned, Killers of the Flower Moon and Godzilla Minus One, that aren't up for consideration because I haven't watched them yet. I always imagine these lists like a snapshot and not a definitive list of what is good because that's always subjective. And before we get to my 10 favorites, let's pick out some honorable mentions. This was a particularly good year for horror movies of all kinds that were all one or two ticks off the final list. This includes the Back to the Future plus slasher vibes of Totally Killer that blends mystery thriller slasher fun with a savage takedown of the fun 80s, the brutally effective Argentinian import When Evil Lurks that drips with paranoia, pain, and gore, Evil Dead Rises, mean-spirited splatter thrills, and the horror action comedy of Renfield, and the solid, solid phone tag gimmick of Unseen. It was also a good year for movies aimed at women and girls, including the delightfully silly and often pointed Barbie, and one of the best book-to-screen adaptations ever in Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret. But just in case you wanted old-fashioned thrills, there was still plenty of straight-up action to enjoy, including John Wick Chapter 4, which benefited from the addition of Donnie Yen, as all movies do, and a renewed thematic focus, and the Nazi-killing exploitation fun of Sisu and Blood and Gold. I also need to provide a shout-out to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem for just missing the cut because of a handful of other animated movies that hit just a bit harder. So, starting with the list off, we're going with Asteroid City. I rarely put too much stock in other publications or people's best and worst lists for 2023 outside of reinforcing recommendations or questioning my own thoughts and feelings about a particular piece of art. Which is why I found it so surprising that I found myself just as mad as the rest of movie Twitter when Variety named Wes Anderson's latest, Asteroid City, as one of the worst movies of 2023, alongside bombs like The Flash. While there's a lot of reasons I could go into about why said lists and Asteroid City's inclusion on it is crap, what what this really reinforced is how much I connected with and enjoyed the movie. The movie is essentially a play within a play, as a number of gifted children and their parents go to accept Scholastic Awards in an Area 51 type location, as they are forced to deal with some heavy existential questions about life, death, parenting, connection, and our place in the world all while feeling like they have no idea what they're doing or what they should do, or even why they do what they do. 
I could try to sell you on all the standard Wes Anderson trappings, including the crisp production design, stellar performances across the board from new and old Anderson favorites, and some newbies, including a perfectly cast Scarlett Johansson. But what I love about this movie is how it understands that not understanding what's going on or what art in in our lives mean is one of the most universal and profound human emotions and how it can bring us together. Am I doing it right? The movie asks. But unlike a lot of movies of its ilk, Asteroid City has an answer. You're doing just fine. Next up, we have Oppenheimer. Christopher Nolan crafting an R-rated hit movie out of another historical subject didn't surprise me. What did surprise me was how a three-hour biopic about Robert Oppenheimer and the creation of the atomic bomb managed to feel so frenetic, focused, and introspective at the same time. Oddly enough, Nolan succeeds here by pulling off a trick his breakout movie Memento did so well. He puts the audience in the lead character's headspace. His quest for for answers, his ambition, his drive, his trysts, all building and building into a literal world-changing explosion. And the guilt, that should have been obvious from the get-go, that quietly consumes him for the rest of his existence. It's a movie that leans into the inevitable discussion its subject will provoke with clear answers. Should will provoke without clear answers. Should Robert Oppenheimer realize what he was doing? Yes. Why didn't he? A messy cocktail of World War II ambition and the pulsing need to close a loop in his mind, something my ADHD ass is all too familiar with. All the while, the movie bounces backwards and forwards in time, at will, like a memory in Oppenheimer's head as he tries to piece together how he ended up the father of the bomb. Combined with a career-best turn from Killian Murphy, big-name actors for single-scene parts, and absorbing visual style and production design, Christopher Nolan may have crafted his masterpiece. Next up, I have Theater Camp. Like the farcical cousin to Waiting for Guffman's deadpan approach, this delightful documentary doc- is one of the best loving send-ups of a subculture and the people who inhabit it in years. Taking place during the most tumultuous year of a sleepaway theater camp, the film follows a summer at a breakneck pace as the counselors try to piece together a show worthy of the camp's founder, while the founder's son tries to desperately find the funds to save the camp while also coming to appreciate its value, and the camp counselor's power couple have a year's worth of tensions bubbled to the surface. If it sounds chaotic, it is. But what hilarious chaos it is. Every little creative decision hits, making the film look like an old handheld documentary, perfect way to make this movie feel timeless and nostalgic despite taking place in the present day. Including a token straight boy who will play football with the camp across the lake, a shot right to my heart and life experience, but also hilarious. The camp counselors being types taken to 11 yet often underplayed, that equals the best comedic performance of Ben Platt's and Molly Gordon's careers. The inclusion of Ayo Adibri, well, I mean, if you had a well-received movie, there's like a 33% chance she was in it this year, so great job. All of which builds to a finale that it's as silly, sincere, and fun as musical theater itself can be at its best and worst. I love this movie. Next up, we have Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. There's a lot of reasons that this superhero sequel blew people away. There's the technical mastery that blends multiple animation styles between disparate characters and universes. The effortlessly engaging and amazing action sequences that combine the fighting and saving portions of superheroics, and perfectly timed jokes either via dialogue and visual gags. And we even have the voice cast, old characters and new, who give their who give their all to make these characters feel and sound real. It's all an astounding creative lift, even if it is the first in a two-part series. But what makes this movie stick with me and makes it stand out within its own genre is its refusal to accept the standard or predetermined narratives. This is Spider-Man's story? A story defined by tragedy and the deaths of the people closest to our hero? 
who says it has to be that way? While Into the Spider-Verse was all about Miles taking up the Spider-Man mantle, Across the Spider-Verse is about him proving to himself and the world that not only is he worthy, he determines his fate, even if he has to fight every other Spider-Being in existence to do it. A pitch-perfect message for this era of movies and adults and kids alike. Next up, we have Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves. 2023's biggest, best-kept secret might be the most pure fun I've had with a blockbuster movie all year. Based on the beloved tabletop game, the movie follows Chris Pine's thief and bard as he and his ragtag group with all of their awesome special abilities try to pull off a giant heist and stumble into an effort to save their world. Does this movie embrace the chaotic fun of an actual game? Couldn't tell you personally, but by all accounts, yes, because the question the movie seems to ask at every turn is, what's the fun way to do this? Need to demonstrate that our sorcerer is a bit out of his depth? We've got a great physical comedy set piece for that. Time to get an important MacGuffin for the mission. We've got the most awkward charismatic man in the world and a hilarious variation on the titular beast for you. Need to add some backstory and the cameo as Michelle Rodriguez's ex? It's too good to spoil, but you get the idea. That's hard enough without maintaining everyone's skill sets and giving each character an emotional payoff before the film's end. I've been aching for a movie that captured the joyful action-adventure vibes of The Mask of Zorro or The Mummy, and this movie does so brilliantly. Please make another one. Next up is Polite Society. If nothing else, Nita Manzor's feature film debut makes my list for the sheer amount of energy and joy I got from watching it. The premise sounds like a romantic comedy or coming-of-age movie, as our protagonist, a British-Pakistani teenager named Ria Khan, tries to stop her sister from marrying a suspicious rich family. What makes this movie sing and put it directly in my wheelhouse is how well the movie captures Rhea's fantastical teenage mindset, including her desire to be a stunt woman, her friends stopping mid-handshake to call their classmate a slag, or how every verbal confrontation within the film turns into a literal martial arts showdown. Combined with Edgar Wright-esque editing, a fun-above-all-else approach, and a star-making turn from Priya Kansara, this one made me feel like a teenager again in a great way. Next up, we have The Blackening. There were a lot of other horror movies I liked this year, but none of them were this much fun. The premise sounds like a standard slasher movie. A group of college friends reunite on the weekend of Juneteenth to get drunk, do drugs, and talk shit, only to be thrown into a life-or-death struggle against a foe that wants them to prove how black they are. Every little bit of this movie hits. The ensemble cast are all perfectly suited to deliver in both dramatic and comedic moments. The jokes are an even blend of social commentary, genre parody, and flat-out silliness. And we even have fully developed character arcs in a movie that's barely over 90 minutes. It's a movie that goes down sm so smoothly, you might not realize how meticulously crafted and written it is at first glance, which is some of the highest praise I can give a movie. If you haven't already, give this one a go. Next up, we have Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. While so much of Marvel has been owned by setting up the next phase or adding to the media empire's ever-evolving and expanding lore, James Gunn succeeded by doing what he's always done, focusing on characters. Still a bit out of sorts after Endgame, the Guardians are forced to get their act together when Rocket receives a near-fatal injury, and the only way to help him is by confronting another world-level threat, the High Evolutionary. But that's all secondary to what this movie is really about, moving forward. It's about Rocket coming to terms with his traumatic past and some of the saddest flashbacks I've ever seen, or Star-Lord accepting how things played out and finally just maybe growing up a bit. Meanwhile, the rest of the team push to find acceptance and purpose that goes beyond beating a big bad. All of which is still peppered with the series' signature sense of humor, a number of creative set pieces, and another hand-picked soundtrack from Gunn. Next up, we have The Holdovers. 
Alexander Payne's films are all seemingly about midlife crises with men encountering a definitive turning point in their life, whether it's embracing an aging father's final wish, a la Nebraska, trying to find a purpose after the death of a spouse in About Schmidt or The Descendants, or good old-fashioned trying to liven things up before things get too real kind of midlife crisis as in Election or Sideways. And while the holdovers fit snugly into this midlife crisis genre, the twist on Payne's familiar fascinations worked wonders with me. The film takes place in the 70s as the Vietnam War is in full swing, and a generally disliked classics teacher at a boys' prep school, Paul Hunnam, is given the unenviable duty of looking over the holdovers, or bo boys that don't have someplace to go over the holidays. But the brusque group quickly turns into a single student, the openly troubled Angus, and the school's cook, who is grieving the loss of her son in the Vietnam War. Through a series of frustrations, social misfires, and misadventures, the audience gets to see this oddball trio wear each other's walls down, and the defenses as, and defenses as they learn, grow, and open up. It's all beautifully acted, with potential Oscar-winning turns from all three members of the main cast, and a healthy reminder that even your least favorite teacher or student is a complex human being. And finally, we have Nimona. The second awesome animated comic book adaptation on my list seemingly came out of nowhere as a Netflix exclusive that scratched so many itches I didn't even not know I needed scratched. Set in a futuristic yet still medieval kingdom, the movie centers around a commoner who aspires to be a knight named Ballister, who is framed for the death of a royal. The only one who believes him and offers to help is the anarchic and energetic Nimona, who dubs themselves Ballister's sidekick, who will help him get revenge. Also, they can transform into animals. Using this setup, fantasy, this fantasy setup as an allegory for the trans experience, as the comic did, the movie offers a surprisingly deft touch, switching between offbeat comedy, fantasy action-adventure blended with steampunk aesthetics and tech, and gut-wrenching moments that hammer home the importance of acceptance and understanding over fear. Combined with a distinctive animation style and a dedicated voice cast, it's hard to find a movie that is as much fun that also wrecked my heart in equal measure. So those are my 10 favorites from 2023. Thank you so much for listening as always, and I'll catch you next time. This has been Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie World, for the latest reviews, discussions, and more. See you next time, everybody, and stay safe.